Now, Adam, I don't know if you saw this little tidbit or not, but Washington's Jeff Rulon decided that his teammate and Sudan native Manute Bowl needed to be Americanized, so he renamed him Rudy. I've not seen that, no. It's news to me. Manute didn't like the name, yet in the 29 games beforehand, he had averaged 1.55 blocks per game, and in the 12 games since, 4.3 blocks per game. <laughs> I always like to say that Michael got to play with me for a year at North Carolina. <laughs> I think it really helped him. Spectacular player from the beginning. You can see right away, Jordan was going to be a big-time scorer. And showed what an impact he was going to have on the league. This is MB87, celebrating the 30-year anniversary of Michael Jordan's Chicago Bulls in the 1987 NBA season. Now here's your hosts, Adam Ryan and Aaron Steen. Welcome back to another episode of NB87. It's episode 8 this time around, Aaron. Welcome back, existing listeners and those also new to the show. How are you today, mate? And thanks again for being a part of the show. Adam, it Matt. Actually, no, I won't bother. Yeah, I'm, I'm really good, mate. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Well done. NBA News Notes and Quotes January 30th through February 13th, 1987. Gene Banks called a players-only meeting at the Bulls Hotel in Philadelphia to speak about team unity and ensuring everyone does their best work with coach Doug Collins. Earl Curitan, who was about to be replaced in the starting lineup by Dave Corzine, expressed his unhappiness at his lack of playing time being in the last year of his current contract. Earl expressed his fear that he may not be in the league the following season. Hmm. Corzine believes at the age of 30, he still has some good years ahead of him in the NBA and said, tongue-in-cheek, that he was going for Kareem's record of games played. (laughs) On this date, Chicago took on the 76ers at Philadelphia in front of 17,967 fans. Philadelphia were winners 121 to 112. The Bulls dropped to 21 and 21 on the year. For the Bulls, Jordan had 49 points and 5 assists. Charles Oakley, 18 points and 17 boards. And Johnny Pax had 11 points and 9 assists. For Philadelphia, Barkley had a monster game as well. 40 points and 21 rebounds, and Mo Cheeks had 17 points and 8 assists, and this was the 76ers' 11th win in its previous 15 games, so they were on quite a tear at that stage. The next day's headline in the Tribune was Bulls Waste, Jordan's 49. The Sixer fans were wowed by Air Jordan's 49, but also by their own Charles Barkley's 40 points and 21 rebounds. Barkley waged a war with Charles Oakley in the paint that led to a couple of pushing matches between the two. The Bulls led 56-54 at the half, as the main break was bridged by 18 straight points by Michael Jordan. Hmm. A 12-2-6 run broke the game open at the end of the third term and beginning of the fourth quarter. Post-game, Sixers coach Matt Gukas was seriously asked, if he thinks that Jordan will score every point for the Bulls in a game. (laughs) It's an unconfirmed report that that reporter was later fired. (laughs) What a ridiculous comment to make. That is crazy. Oh, gee. Now, returning two games on the 30th of January, the hometown Mavericks bucked visiting Milwaukee and their three-game win streak with a 133-117 to decision. Now, there's nothing remarkable in that scoreline. However, the teams did combine to set a then-record for the most three-pointers made in a single NBA game. Dallas made nine and Milwaukee made seven, totaling 16 in all. 
quite a contrast when you compare it to the 2017-2018 NBA. The total of 16 eclipsed the previous record of 11, which was set by Dallas and Portland in a game back in January of 85. And in this game, we're talking about the Mavericks' Derek Harper made five threes and the Bucks' Craig Hodges had four. Wow. Mm. Six games rounded out the month of January. Ex-Bull, Quentin Daly, now a member of the LA Clippers, hit two free throws with three seconds left at Salt Lake City to give his Clips a rare 114 to 113 victory in overtime. And the Clippers improved to 7 and 37. Absolutely brutal. Daly had a game high of 28 points. Now, moving into February, February the 1st, there was a great tidbit, mate, in the Arizona Republic on this date. And according to Lee Shapples, I'm not sure how you pronounce his name, sorry, Lee, uh, in his notes section, re Fat Lever's omission from the forthcoming NBA All Star game, Denver's Alex English was, and I quote, so indignant that he sent a telex <laughs> to Commissioner David Stern, volunteering to forfeit his spot on the team and give it to Lever. Request denied. End quote. Now, apparently, mate, Nuggets coach Doug said that nobody deserved a spot more than Fat Lever. Very well played. Poor form. I believe at this point in time of the season that Fat was leading the NBA in triple doubles, Adam. Yes, he was. Now, in that same notes column, Lee referenced rookie Jeff Hornacek and a crazy shot that he hit to end the third quarter of a game versus Detroit some four days prior at Phoenix. And as soon as I read that, I immediately had a flashback to the excellent NBA Entertainment VHS release, Awesome Endings. And sure enough, that shot features in the Bombs Away segment of that video. Hmm. In text, this is how Lee described it. Hornacek picked up the inbounds pass that was deflected by Larry Nance and threw in an off-balance shot from the corner while falling out of bounds as time expired in the period. It spurred a Suns rally from 17 back and a victory in overtime. Do you recall the shot that Hornacek hit, mate, as he fell out of bounds? I don't actually, but I haven't seen awesome endings for quite some time, so I can't remember it, but it must have been a pretty spectacular shot from Iowa State walk-on, Jeff Hornacek. Nice stuff, mate. In the show notes for this episode, for what it's worth, I'll include the link to said clip. So check that out at inallearnest.com slash nb87-8. Hornacek, first two of the game. Six games commenced the month of February and the most notable contest had to be New Jersey's trip to Golden State where the Warriors would eventually prevail 150 to 147 in a four overtime game. It was the first four OT contest in three years. Golden State's Eric Floyd lived up to his nickname after this one as he played 64 minutes in total and he tied Norm Nixon's 1980 record for the most minutes played in a single game. So that was a then record. Of course, that's been eclipsed since then by great friend of the show, Dale Ellis. Episode 57 of the show, who I think played, from memory, 69 minutes in that five-overtime game against Milwaukee. Joe Barry Carroll dominated in this game with 43 points and 24 rebounds. They were season highs, and this game doubled as the third-highest scoring game of JBC's career. He had an all-time high of 52 versus Utah back in 1983. Now, moving back to games on this date, Chicago travelled to Detroit in front of a massive crowd, 38,873. The Pistons would hang on for a 94-92 to win. It was the fifth straight loss for the Bulls, and they dropped to 21-22. and For Chicago, Jordan had a great game with 38 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists, and 5 steals. Johnny Paxson, 16 points and 7 assists, and Charles Oakley, 16 points and 17 boards. 
And for the Pistons, Adrian Dantley was the main man with 25 points. Bill Lambier had 16, and Isaiah Thomas contributed 15 points, 11 boards, and 13 assists in what is also commonly known as a triple-double. Billy Lambier almost incited the Bulls to a victory in front of the third largest crowd in Pistons history. With 3.27 left in the game and the Pistons up 90-82, Lambier and Riverbanks got into it after a Lambier shove. Then, after a Banks steal, he streaked down court. He had his clothes on. Yeah, it was a different kind of streak. Anyway, sorry. (laughs) I digress. He streaked down court only to have Lambier slam into Banks. That must have hurt. When you slam into, anyway, sorry, getting sidetracked, (laughs) slam into Banks as he drove to the basket. Robin needed to be restrained by essentially the entire Bulls and Pistons rosters, as Isaiah Law Thomas III (laughs) even had Robin around the neck. Gee, so it was all on. I don't remember seeing any highlights from this particular game where certainly this this action happened, but not sure if this game exists in trading circles. I'm pretty sure it doesn't, so that would be a, a great one to see if footage of that ever surfaces. After his own run-in with Bill the season before, in which Lambeer put Jordan on his back at Chicago Stadium, Michael called Lamb a cheap shot artist who nobody on the Bulls roster really cared for. (laughs) I'm glad that MJ was so forthright with his uh, description there of uh, Billy Lambeer. In the game itself, Jordan missed back-to-back three-point attempts and Mike Brown a last-second tip-in, which handed Detroit the win. The upcoming issue of Sport Magazine asked the question on how to best stop Michael Jordan. Their answer? You don't have to. (laughs) Just stop his teammates instead, as the Bulls had lost six of their last nine games in which Jordan had dropped 40 points. Hmm. Quite a telling statistic, though, isn't it, to say that uh, his offensive output could be thwarted by the fact that you just stop his teammates. Jordan was asked at the halfway point of the season who in the NBA defended him the best, and his answer was Detroit's Joe Dumas. Joe D, eh, out of McNeese State. Now, Adam, I don't know if you saw this uh, little tidbit or not, but Washington's Jeff Rulon decided that his teammate and Sudan native Manute Bowl needed to be Americanized, so he renamed him Rudy. I've not seen that, no. It's news to me. Minute didn't like the name, yet in the 29 games beforehand, he had averaged 1.55 blocks per game, and in the 12 games since, 4.3 blocks per game. <laughs> also, Rudy was on track to set a record he may not have wanted on his CV. In his first 41 games, or 585 minutes, he was yet to register an assist. <laughs> Rudy would go on to tally just 11 dimes for the 86-87 season. Wow, shades of Yingadare. Um, that's classical stuff. Rudy. No, I've never heard that. That's fantastic. So, uh, fair chance that 80% of the time now we'll just refer to Manute Bowl as Rudy. Rudy Bowl. Rudy Bowl. <laughs> Good stuff there from great friend of the show, Jeff Ruland. Exactly. Episode 45 of the show. And you did mention Mike Brown there before, mate, as well. Another great friend of the show, episode 62. The pick of the four games on this date, and it's the 2nd of February we're talking about, was the Mavericks' 103-99 to win over the red-hot LA Lakers at the Great Western Forum. It was just the second home loss for LA in 21 games, and the Mavs were led by Mark Aguirre's 27 points. Byron Scott top-scored for the Lakers with 21. On February 3rd, these Bulls were in a season-long five-game losing streak that had them a game below 500. They are looking at the road-weary Washington Bullets as a way to end this streak. This game represented the Bullets' 12th back-to-back for the season, and their key players, the Malone Twins, had struggled on the road to this point. (laughs) 
the Malone twins. <laughs> Is that your words? Or from the article? Those are my words. That's great. Doug Collins planned to play a bigger lineup of Corzine in the middle and Sellers up front with Oakley to combat Moses on the boards. This also meant that Puritan and Brown could see more playing time in this game. There was actually talk in certain newspaper articles when I was researching for this episode of a new Twin Towers, Moses Malone and Manute Rudy Bowl. Mm. Uh, they were being <laughs> flagged as the Twin Towers as opposed to uh, Ralph Sampson and Akeem Olajuwon. Now, in Atlanta, Dominique dialed up a sensational 54-point effort in his Hawks' 126-123 to overtime victory against Boston. Neek secured the win with a three-point play with 17 seconds left in extra period before he added a pair of free throws to round out his magnificent day's work. In other games, Washington travelled to Chicago in front of 12,847. The Bulls had a 98-91 victory, so they were back in the winner's column and moved to an even 522-22. For Chicago, Jordan had 32 points, 6 rebounds and 6 assists. Mike Brown, he had 16 points and 12 rebounds. Brad Sellers, 14 points. And Charles Oakley, 10 points and 13 boards. For Washington, Jeff Malone and Enos Watley had 20 points apiece. And Moses Malone had 14 points and 8 boards. In the space of a headline and three paragraphs, some Sakamoto gold from the game recap. The headline, Brown powers bulls past bullets, Mm. was followed by Someone hit a switch on the board's offense, and the result was a brownout, a 10-point <laughs> surge by reserve Mike Brown, and Brown, the palace station-sized forward center, pushed around Moses and held the all-star to 14 points and eight rebounds. Wow, that is some gold. That's some great stuff there. And I'm sure Mike will probably enjoy hearing that back if he takes a listen. And uh, hello to Mike if you are listening. Uh, great stuff there from Mr. Sakamoto. He's really gone with the wordplay there, hasn't he? He has. The Bullets held a 14-point lead late in the third before the Mike Brown play that electrified <laughs> the stadium crowd and helped the Bulls snap a five-game losing streak. With 1.50 remaining and the Bulls up three, Brown dove on the floor for a loose ball, got fouled and made both free throws in what Coach Collins called the play of the game. You could say he dug deep. <laughs> then to continue the electrical theme of the article, the sack dropped a dimming light bulb that faded badly. The brightest light of them all was Michael Jordan, who scored just nine points in the first half, dropped 16 straight for the Bulls in the third term. Wow. There's lots of great wordplay going on here. Continued throughout the uh, recap. Great stuff. Yeah. Returning to games on February 3rd, at Houston, Fat Lever had an amazing 26-point, 14 rebound, 11 assist and 6 steal effort, and that was his 10th triple-double of the season. He was leading the league at this stage in triple-doubles, and Denver held on for a 107-105 to win over the Houston Rockets. Though his Cavaliers dropped the decision 104-102, to Cleveland's Ron Harper had a career-high 40 points at Boston. The Celtics improved to 34-12, and and the Cavs dropped to 18-28. and Ronnie Harper's line, 40 points, 6 rebounds, and 9 assists, so tremendous effort there from Harp. Uh, Boston's Larry Bird led the Celtics with 29 points, 13 rebounds, and 7 assists. That's called really reinforcing the support from your head coach and your should-have-been fellow All-Star in Alex English with Fats, 26-14, 11 assists and 6 steals. What a game. Incredible, isn't it? The SAC wrote a piece on February 5 about Doug Collins' fresh, sincere approach to his team as his first stint as a head coach in the NBA. 
Elston Turner was walking through an airport with a bruised thigh when Collins, noticing the difficulty his guard was having, picked up his bags and carried them out to the team bus. Huh, got to be happy with that. Turner thanked Collins and added that there weren't too many coaches who would do that. Collins had turned a bunch of mostly journeymen and Michael Jordan from a doormat into a playoff contender. Good stuff. Bulls trainer Mark File said of the seven Bulls teams he has been around, this one is the closest knit of all of them. All thanks to the evenness and consistency in Collins' approach. Doug spoke to MJ during training camp before the season and reminded him the impact of his own actions on the rest of the team. When Jordan goes against team policy and wears his gold chain at practice or the wrong attire, the rest of the team will do the same. Jordan had reservations about Collins at age 35 as a head coach, but likes him a lot because of his intelligence, consistency and positive approach. Great insight there, mate. Now, on February 5, there were nine games to close out the pre-All-Star game break. The individual high scorer across all those games was New York's Patrick Ewing, who dropped 38 points on New Jersey in the Knicks' 135-118 to drubbing of the Nets at Madison Square Garden. Washington, hosting Cleveland, were led by Moses Malone's 20 points and 16 rebounds, coupled with Manute Bowles' then-career-high 12 blocks Wow! in the Bullets' 94-85 win. Cleveland recorded 13 blocks as a team. Incredibly, Rudy would usurp that mark later in this same month when he set a career high of 15. Now, Chicago at Milwaukee as well on this date in front of 11,052 fans saw the Bucks win 120-105 to and the Bulls dropped again to under 500 and were 22-23. and For the Bulls, Chicago's Michael Jordan had 36 points, 7 rebounds and 5 assists. Charles Oakley, 17 points and 10 boards and Brad Sellers, 13 points and 7 rebounds. For Milwaukee, a couple of great friends of the show here, Ricky Pierce, episode 28, and Terry Cummings, episode 17, had 32 points and 29 points respectively, and TC also added 10 rebounds for good measure. With Jordan nursing a sore right thumb and Oakley a mild case of the flu, the Bulls came close to knocking off the Bucks in Milwaukee. Doug Collins started River Banks in place of Sellers to play against the bigger Terry Cummings. Now, Charles Oakley had never been in a fight in his short NBA career before, but when he was jostling for a rebound in the third term, Oakley responded to an advancing Paul McKeskey by punching him in the nose. I've seen the highlight to this crazy stuff. Collins said McKeskey had Oak in a headlock and then took a swing at Oakley. Charles told McKeskey to stop. When he didn't, Charles landed the knockout blow that got both ejected and broke McKeskey's nose. Ah, nasty stuff. Have you seen the footage of this? I don't believe so. Oh, I'll put a link again in the show notes to this episode. It's a pretty nasty one, and he doesn't take long to swing at Paul McKeskey either, which ended up uh, taking McKeskey's nose <laughs> for a bit of a drive as well. Um, take <laughs> his nose for a drive. It doesn't even make sense. Oh, it was good though. That can't be salvaged. Yeah. The Bucks had roughed Jordan up in their previous meeting and Oakley wasn't going to let it happen again. Post-game, Oakley said his mild bout of the flu came from playing against the Washington Bullets and Terry Catledge. Collins added that it shows that his team are playing tight defense, really close to her man. <laughs> And in other NBA news for Dr. J's last All-Star game, the NBA are to break with tradition and introduce the East 
last in player introductions, despite the game being played in a West venue. That's fantastic. Another great find. On February 8, on the Bulls bus ride home from Milwaukee, Michael Jordan told his teammates that if he wins the $12,500 first place prize for the upcoming slam dunk competition, he would share it with them. Hmm. Generous. By the time the competition finished, Jordan said he could see Charles Oakley hollering at the TV saying, that's a thousand for me. (laughs) Great friend of the show, Terence Statue of Liberty Stansbury, called Jordan's Lena, kiss the rim dunk, the best he's ever seen an individual do. Nice one. Hello to Terence, if you're listening, episode 58 of the show. Also on February 8, the sack explained that maybe the Bulls selecting Brad Sellers over Johnny Dawkins in the 86 draft wasn't so bad after all. Dawkins had struggled to establish himself thus far. Whilst in a starting role, Sellers was averaging 12.5 points and 6.8 rebounds per game for the Bulls. Yeah, it's a fair point. And also, in recent episodes of this series, Brad's been having some really good games. He was criticised for not actually having much of a low post game or going inside much, given his height. But he had a good touch from outside and was definitely producing well, given it was his rookie campaign. And he was under a fair bit of pressure, of course, playing on a team with Michael Jordan, no less. Hmm. Whilst we won't actually focus on the All-Star game at all, mate, uh, the West did prevail 154 to 149 in overtime. Just quickly, though, episode 70 of the show, Rolando Blackman, who featured prominently in the 87 All-Star game. Some great memories for him and uh, one of the more popular episodes that's been released so far on the podcast. It must be said, I've had a lot of good feedback about that particular episode. Now, not to give any spoilers away for the game, but Rolando showed a lot of confidence, baby confidence in that game. (laughs) He did. He certainly did. February the 10th, the NBA resumed games on this date and there were nine contests on the NBA slate. Philadelphia at Chicago in front of a great crowd of 17,234 saw the Bulls hold on for a big win, 104-99, to and they returned to 500 at 23-23. and For the Bulls, Jordan had 29 points, three rebounds and four assists. Oakley had a triple-double with 20 points, 12 rebounds and 11 assists. Fantastic stuff there from Charles Oakley. Gene Banks, 17 points, and Johnny Paxson, continuing his good form of late, had 11 points and 10 assists. For the Sixers, Julius Irving had 30 points and 8 rebounds, and Maurice Cheeks, 16 points and 12 assists. Bob Sakamoto called Charles Oakley 6'9 and 245 pounds of Charlie Hustle. Hmm. Makes sense. The kind of player who will break your heart one minute and then steal it the next. Oakley's first career triple-double was punctuated by a key three-point play late in the fourth to get the Bulls the win. Jordan was quiet with foul problems in the first half and scored only six points. Hmm. In their previous matchup against Philly, the Sixers went to Barkley often down the stretch and Chuck ended up with 40 points. No way is Barkley getting 40 points again, said Oakley. Back to games on the 10th, Dominic Wilkins' high scoring continued as he chalked up 46 points at Seattle, so what a great effort that is, in Atlanta's impressive 125-113 to victory. The win also snapped the team's six-game road-losing skid. February 11 consisted of four blowouts and one overtime game. That said, even Detroit's 123-113 to overtime win versus hometown Philly was a 10-point decision in the end. No other game was closer than a 16-point margin. Now, on February 12, no game to recap, just a Bulls trade. 
Chicago sent Earl the 12 Curitan to the LA Clippers for a future 1989 second round draft choice. This pick would later be used to acquire Ben Perquette, hmm. which we will detail a little later in the series. Jerry Krause said the main issue was getting playing time for the Bulls' front court players, and if they hadn't seen such an improvement in the Bulls' younger guys, they may not have pulled the trigger on moving Earl. Hmm. We're talking about February the 12th here. Houston, on the road, easily defeated the New Jersey Nets 121-99. to Elijah Wan dominated with 37 points, and Rodney McRae, future Chicago Bull, added 26 points. The win was Bill Fitch's 700th as coach. At the time, it made him just the fifth person to reach that milestone. The other four, Red Auerbach, Dick Modder, Jack Ramsey, and Gene Hsu. On February 13, on the day that Aaron Steen turned nine years old, Johnny Kerr, who was the honorary chairman of the Chicago Public Schools Alumni Association, was hosting 1,000 high school basketball players to the upcoming Bulls-Sonics game at Chicago Stadium. Hmm, okay, there you go. Uh, of course, you have to get in the fact that you turned nine years old on that date as well. Sadal III was activated from the injured list after breaking his hand six weeks earlier. Collins was looking forward to being able to rest John Paxson more with the return of Threat, who injured his hand soon after being signed by the Bulls on December 31st. Now, I think you meant great friend of the show, Sadal Threat. Absolutely. Thought as much. Now, on the 13th, Seattle at Chicago, uh, in front of 16,251, saw the Bulls hang on for a 106-98 to result, and the Bulls improved to 24-23 and on the year. Jordan had a blinder, 45 points, 3 rebounds and 6 assists. Gene Banks, 18 points and 17 rebounds, so a fantastic effort there from Gene. Charles Oakley, 12 points, and Brad Sellers had 11 for Seattle, the X-Man, Xavier McDaniel had 27 points and 8 rebounds. Tom Chambers, almost identical, 26 points and 8 rebounds. And Dale Ellis, great friend of the show, episode 57, had 15 points. Gino Banks had some advice from his mum. MJ had his rests, and between them, the Bulls had enough to beat the Sonics, wrote Bob Sakamoto. Jordan had a game-high 45 and Banks 18 points and 17 rebounds as the Bulls lifted to a game over 500. With the return of good friend of the show, Sadal Threat and Elson <laughs> Turner, Jordan was able to get six minutes of rest in the second term alone. And during his self-described funk, Banks's mother flew in from Philadelphia to visit her son and offer some advice. That's good. In a common theme for Michael Jordan of late, the Sonics roughed Michael up a little, including a play that sent MJ to the floor after a spectacular drive, ending in Jordan landing heavily on his wrist. Later, he also caught an elbow from Dale Ellis, good friend of the show, Dale Ellis, that sent him (laughs) stumbling out of bounds. The Supersonics started the fourth with a Ellis three that put them up 83-76 before seven straight Jordan points that led to a 17-5 run. The Bulls inside D limited the Sonics to outside shots in the fourth and just 31% shooting. Now, returning to games back on the 13th, Magic Johnson had 40 points, and it was the third highest output of the season for him in LA's 113-108 home win over Indiana. The Pacers' high man was Vern Fleming with 19 points. I reckon this 86-87 season was the first one for Magic of him taking over more of the scoring load for the LA Lakers, taking some of the scoring off of Kareem, because I think he's had at least two or three games of 40 points or more so far this season. Totally agree, mate. And I think at one stage during this series, we referenced where 
Magic had to get the okay from Kareem to be able to take more of the scoring load, or at least in consult with Pat Riley. The LA Clippers, Mike Woodson, exploded for a... It didn't actually... He had a season-high 37 points in a 110-96 to win at San Antonio. Woodson's career high was actually back in 1983 season when he dropped 48 points on Houston as a member of the Kansas City Kings. Okay, now, firstly, had no idea that Mike Woodson ever had a 48-point game, and what an amazing comeback for Mike to explode and then continue <laughs> on to score 37. Extraordinary. <laughs> a lot of heart. Well, she and kidney and everything else was splattered <laughs> across the floor. But on fire. Well, he exploded, so it makes sense, I suppose. <laughs> Moving on. Player of the month for January was Charles Barkley, or should I say Charles Wade Barkley, if we want to go for the middle names as well, of Philadelphia, who had 25.4 points, 14.9 boards, 4.4 assists, 2.3 steals, and 1.5 blocks per game, as the Sixers went 10-5 and through the month of January. So great effort there from Sir Charles. We just had one player of the week this time around because there was none announced the week of the All-Star game. So on February the 1st, Fat Lever of Denver, 27.3 points, 11.3 rebounds, 10.7 assists, and two steals a game. And the Nuggets were one and two during that particular week. The high men individually for points, Dominique Wilkins of Atlanta, 54 against the New Jersey Nets on the 3rd of February. Buck Williams of the Nets had 27 rebounds versus Golden State on the 1st of February. And the aforementioned Magic Johnson, this time in the assist column, had 19 at Phoenix on the 30th of January. Now, the NBA standings through February the 13th. Our division leaders were in the Atlantic, Boston with 37 and 12. In the Central, Atlanta and Detroit with 31 and 16 apiece. In the Midwest, Dallas with 31 and 17. And in the Pacific, the Lakers with 37 and 12. Boston and the Lakers, exactly the same records at this stage of the season. The Bulls were 24 and 23. They went 3 and 3 in this span. And the LA Clippers were a lowly 8 and 40. All right, mate. That wraps up episode eight of the series. Thanks again, mate, for being a part of the show. Is there anything you'd like to add before we do tie up a bow on this episode? In appointing a new Twin Towers for the NBA to replace the Rockets version with the injury to Ralph Sampson, there were two no bigger forces of nature on the basketball court to name the Twin Towers and Moses Malone and Rudy Boll. Giddy up. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show and share my web address with your friends and colleagues in allairness.com. Check out the podcast archive for plenty more episodes with high-profile guests. Follow me on Twitter at inallairness. Please add your like to the show's social hub, facebook.com slash inallairness. Join me next time for another edition of the show.